0: Good morning. good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It really is good to see you here and those of you online. Welcome to Northland as we are celebrating Advent together. And this is a special day uh, because We have all of our children from our children's church with us, not just these up here leading us, but in our services. (laughs) It just occurred to me, I should have asked you to stand a second ago because now you won't be able to see the kids when they stand. But all of you, first through fifth graders, would you at least raise your hand, get on your tiptoes so that we can see where you are. We're really glad that you're here. Welcome. note to self for the 11 o'clock service. Do not stand, everyone, until the kids have stood up. But if you say, truly, if you saw one of those those young people around you, uh, maybe after the service, just tell them how grateful you are for the way that they're following Jesus. And we're also thankful to have them in here this morning. Now, If you're just joining us, we're in the midst of a series for Advent that we're calling Light Has a Name, based on the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9. And last week, we spent some time getting introduced to that text, and also we meditated on that powerful reality that to us, to us, in the midst of our darkness, a child has been born and a son has been given the government rests on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're looking at each of those four names during this month. Last week we focused on Wonderful Counselor, this wonder of a counselor. Today we're gonna be looking at the fact that he is Mighty God. But I wanna give you an opportunity as we start to just in the middle of the hustle and bustle to be still. We did this last week. Several people said, hey, can we do that every week? Don't know that we can do it every week during Advent, but we'll do it one more time today. where well, we're going to, for two minutes, use Handel's Messiah that proclaims this verse and just meditate on it. Now, you can kind of put it in neutral, and I'm afraid to say it'd be wasting the time, but that's your prerogative to just say, all right, I'll just passively sit back and listen. Instead, actively engage. Choose not to be passive, but to actively engage with different words. Government, his leadership, shoulders, his capacity, the wonder of his counsel. Maybe that's what you need right now at this time in your life. Or the fact that he's mighty God. Maybe you need him to to give you strength over a particular issue. Or be an everlasting father, which we'll talk about next week. Or prince of peace. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Engage with it meditate on the Word of God, and really this is our our Scripture reading in a sense as we start. So let's go ahead and engage in the midst of whatever we're dealing with, with this light who has a name. And incredibly, we have the opportunity to talk to him right now, so let's pray. (laughs) King Jesus, here we are, as we often acknowledge, we're not just here in a church service. We're not just watching online in a church service. we're, We're grappling in the midst of our journeys, grappling with the reality of the darkness, but right now coupling that by grappling with the reality of the gospel the reality of who you are as Wonderful Counselor, as Mighty God, as Everlasting Father, as Prince of Peace. There are some friends in, in this room and online that are carrying some unspeakably heavy burdens. And they need you to be mighty God for them right now. Would you speak to us? Teach us? I I confess in the name of Jesus, my need for you right now to not just speak your word, but to listen to your word, to embrace your word. Thank you for speaking into our darkness. And I pray you'll speak more right now in the name that truly is above every name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So some of our students told me I wasn't cool enough. So I'm going to try wearing these for a while, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Several years ago, a, a friend of mine who's an emergency room physician, uh, Arlena, I, I met her when she was out in Colorado at our church out there. She wrote me an email and told me about when she was in Kansas City working in a hospital there and she was getting her private pilot's license. And she got her solo certification, so then she just needed to build up hours, and so she would take afternoons when she could, or mornings, and just to get some more flying time in. One particular afternoon she decided to take a flight to western Missouri from Kansas City, and just to get some time in, she logged in at the airport there, had a cup of coffee, and then late afternoon. Headed, headed back towards Kansas City. She needed to get back in time for her shift in the ER that night. And so she's heading back, everything's going great, and she's checking all her instruments and, and sees on the GPS that she's over the airport where she needs to land. But it was the sun had just gone below the horizon, so the sun had set, still very much light, but the ground was dark. So she's looking... She didn't have her instrument rating yet, and she was flying low enough in this little Cessna aircraft, and she starts looking for the airport where she's going to land, and she can't see it. She checks her GPS, says it needs to be right here. And she's looking around. She can't recognize any landmarks, and she started to get a bit panicky. And then the panic shifted to a real sense of, of, of vulnerability, of aloneness, of weakness, of, of being lost, and this emergency room physician used to handling all of these crises all at once, she said, I just began to cry. She didn't call the tower, she didn't, she said, I, th- the only thing I knew because all of that, that, that vulnerability and weakness and lostness was kind of heaped upon me, I just, I started crying. I don't know what to do. I could see the darkness there. Do I trust? I'm not instrument rated. What do I do? So she reached up to wipe the tears off of her cheeks because, I mean, she was really crying and she was struck. And when she put her hands up, she felt her sunglasses. She had forgotten that her sunglasses were still on. She had them on because she was looking into the setting sun. And because she had her sunglasses on looking down at the dark, she couldn't make anything out, so she took her sunglasses off, and there was the airport. Don't you wish it worked like that for us all the time? When you're in the midst of a dark situation, brought on by living in a fallen world, and we all have them, you're in something right now, perhaps... Maybe it's something nobody knows about, maybe something a lot of people know about. could be to, having to do with our job or some money issues or family stuff or friendships or school. Uh, maybe if you you're in grade school, maybe there's a bully or uh, some kids that really don't like you, all of those dark situations, wouldn't it be great to be able to reach up and take the glasses off and everything become clear, but it doesn't. Basically the sunglasses are permanent when you live in a fallen world. We need light. We can't just take the dark away, we need light. And along comes Christmas. But sadly... Even though we're in this, see, this series where we're talking about light has come, Christmas is not about engaging with the light of Jesus often, often it's about distracting ourselves from the dark. In fact, I heard somebody on the plane just this week talking about how grateful they were for this holiday season because it's a good distraction. Yeah, just all the festivities and the parties, and they were talking about, I just wish it would come more often and distract me more often. So it's not dealing with the dark, it's just distracting us from the dark, and we have gotten immensely good at distracting ourselves from the dark. And just through the holiday season we kind of put it on autopilot and say who can amuse us the most or what can we do to amuse ourselves the most? Take Christmas decorations for example. Uh, any of you decorate your house with some lights and those icicle lights and all of that? Well there's a guy out in Arizona, Kingman, Arizona named David Preston and he started to decorate his house for Christmas. This several years ago. He's a retired financial planner. And he started decorating, and then he came up with another idea, and another idea, another idea, and then a couple of years developed it, and after a while, 250,000 lights later, he took this house, take a look at it in the, during the day and maybe the summertime. It's just a normal looking house, go ahead and put that slide up, there we go. That's the view from the aerial view, and that's the view uh, from the street, and the reason I'm showing you the aerial view is because he's on the flight path to an airport. And there's this guy that, a dark sky watcher that does drone flights, and so the drone flight kind of flew over this guy's house after he had decorated for Christmas last year. It's not only 250,000 lights, but it involves synchronized computer-synchronized light sh- uh, music that you can drive by, turn your radio on to a particular FM frequency, and get some accompaniment. Uh, y- you want to see what it's like a little bit, give you a little taste? Here we go. This is from the drone, and uh, see how simple it is. <laughs> You know, I saw that and I threw my icicle lights away, I said, um, here I was so satisfied if my icicle lights just all were on, there were no burned out parts. You go in, in home improvement stores, you see all the decorations that we're consumed with and all the different things that are now part of this, quote, Christmas season or holiday season. Did you guys know, somebody sent me a photo, did you know there's a Christmas dragon now? I mean, the Christmas dragon's pretty popular, take a look. Uh, There he is right next to Santa, actually those wings go up and down. Of course there's Mickey right there, Christmas Mickey, Christmas Santa. Uh, In the same store, you you back up a little bit and you see the overall section with a bunch of Christmas ornaments and decorations, but I want you to look very carefully at at this photo. Do you see at the very bottom, on the concrete floor, on the bottom shelf, just to the right of the center of the screen, uh, there's, there's, there's a Christmas decoration, huh? Take a look at what it is. Let's see the video of it. In the midst of all of that stuff, oh my word, there's the manger. A couple who sent this to me, the husband said, 2,000 years later, there's still no room for Jesus in the inn of our culture. We've, we've made him at best a mascot of the season. I want you to have two words in your mind, distract or defeat. Which is it that I want when it comes to the darkness? in my journey? Do I just want something that's going to distract me till after New Year's? Or am I looking for the darkness in my journey to be defeated? And if I'm interested in the darkness of my journey being defeated, it's got to be more than Christmas lights and Christmas mascots. It's got to go to the core of my journey. Friday I was in Colorado for the burial of my friend Chuck that I told you about last week. And after the service everybody had filed out the casket was there and Cindy his Chuck's wife and My friend for many years worked with her for over 10 years. She asked me to come up and she and I were standing in front of the casket and the funeral director walked us through what to do next in closing the casket. And as I held that casket down while my dear friend turned a crank locking that casket, I didn't need more decorations. Decorations weren't going to do it for me in that moment, and I actually thought about that. I thought about Cindy and how Christmas is such a significant season for her. She loves Christmas. And I told her, I'm hoping that you continue to love it even more. Not because it's a reminder of the loss of somebody so special, but because it's a reminder that into our darkness light has come. We grieve, but we do not grieve as men and women who have no hope. If you've got your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, and you you don't own one, then you just tell us, we'll give you one. Tell them in the back, find somebody with one of those orange lanyards. If you do have a Bible, it's just not with you, take a look up on the screens. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness." That's a fallen world right there, darkness. Permanent sunglasses, blocking out, we're lost, we're alone, we're weak, we're vulnerable. But then there's this this amazing word, nevertheless. I actually thought about that word as I was sitting in the back of this chapel after the private family and friend service, and Cindy was spending just some final, final time reflecting. And she was up front, I thought of this word, nevertheless, in the midst of something that just doesn't make sense, nevertheless there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and the people walking in darkness. They've seen a great (laughs) light on those living in the land of deep darkness. They didn't figure it out and take the glasses off and get rid of the darkness. We cannot take the glasses off. We cannot get rid of the darkness. So what happens? A light is dawned. That light has a name. Verse 6 and 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. His leadership is going to continue to expand as He reclaims creation to the point that one day, as Revelation tells us, that once again the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God, and the kingdom of our God will will once again in this new heaven and new earth be as it was before the fall. The reign over David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah is proclaiming that in the midst of our darkness, Jesus is not just the mascot of a winter holiday. He's the light of the world. He's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. And he doesn't just offer us these little superficial, sentimental answers saying, hey, it's okay. He says, I've come to reclaim this planet for my glory. So we're suspended in the, between the two advents of Christ. The first advent is what we celebrate during this season. The second advent is the second coming of Christ. We're in this in-between time, this land of the already and the not yet, which he's already come, but the, re- the restoration of all things is not yet completed. And yes, there's mystery, and certainly there continues to be darkness. But he says, I've come to you in that darkness, and I'll be your wonder of a counselor and I'll be your mighty God. This light has a name, and his name is mighty God for some of you right now. Actually for all of you right now, but some of you need that might more right now than ever before. So let's unpack it. What's it look like? What's it look like in the midst of our appointments and our holiday schedules and our laughter and our tears and our funerals? What's it look like to relate with Him as mighty God. To relate with Him as light is to relate with His might. And there are four facets of it I'd I'd like to point out. Just think of light being all-encompassing, light being over us and around us, and within us and underneath us. That's where His light is. Let's look at each of those one at a time. If I'm going to relate with Him as my might, I'll relate with him in terms of his might being over me, meaning I relate with him in terms of his sovereignty. And kids, those of you here, you say, sovereignty, what kind of word is that? Sovereignty means that he's in charge. He's got it. He's in control. He's not scratching his head looking at anything. So where'd that come? Oh, what's up with that? Isaiah 9, 6. We just read it, for to us a child has been born and a son has been given. Last week we talked about that's his, his humanity and his deity. Child has been born, but son has been given. Uh, it's, uh, saying that there's there's not just hey he's born as a human being and arrived but something has been given to us there's an intentionality there's a volition and this word mighty God the word God Isaiah throughout his prophecy is very very careful about distinguishing between humans and deity humans and God L E L transliterated is what is translated as God there mighty L there is no doubt that Isaiah is saying this is not just some kid who was born this is a child who's been born, but it's a son who has been given. God has come. He's come into the darkness, not to be the mascot of a holiday, not to give us something to do on a Sunday when we've got nothing else to do, not to start a religion, but to wrestle that darkness back under his submission, to reclaim what's his. Kids, we just heard it earlier last week in children's church. As you guys are talking about kings and kingdoms, you're looking at the king of kings and how he was announced. Remember the angel Gabriel coming to Mary? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, do not be afraid. You found favor with God, and you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus, and he'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Isaiah says, the government will rest on his shoulders. What kind of government? Is that some political party? Uh-uh. This is the government of the universe. His shoulders are big enough. His sovereignty is enough. I went to college initially to play tennis, that was my that was my deal. It was actually my God. I didn't know that at the time that it was my idol, but it was. And I was going to be a professional tennis player. That was my dream. I was also going to, law, going to get a law degree on the side just to cover my bases. And But two weeks before I showed up for fall practice, I had been traveling for the summer playing tournaments, came back, had two weeks at home before heading off for fall workouts. My dad gave me a job in the company that he was... Uh, VP of Industrial Relations for, and it was in a warehouse, 5 to 1 shift, that way I could still work out and practice in the afternoons. And the job was moving these big, like 20 foot wide, this big around bolts of fabric, and we were hauling them around. They were on aluminum cores. we'd put them on this machine that would get, take, them, take the fabric off the aluminum core, get it onto a cardboard core, they'll store it in the warehouse and get those aluminum cores back into circulation. One of them the first day fell on my chest and cracked my sternum. Nothing you can do about that. I didn't tell the coach. I was, I I just thought, okay, maybe it'll heal. On the NFL, they, the players heal in two weeks. Maybe I can heal in two weeks. I didn't. I was crushed. The coach was mad, but I, I was crushed. My dream was shattered, at least for a year. I was down in the athletic dorm with a couple of guys, one on the basketball team, one on the tennis team, we're in a Bible study together, and started grappling. For the first time I was a very new believer with the sovereignty of God. Is he in charge or not? And there's a mystery regarding all the difficult things that happen in our lives, but we're told that he knows what he's doing and he will wrestle beauty from ashes because of his sovereignty. His shoulders are big enough, and you know Alexander Solzhenitsyn The Russian diplomat, writer, thinker who was in prison in the gulag years ago, he wrote this. He said, bless you prison for having been in my life, saying, how weird is that? He says, it's because of what God taught me in prison, and I say, bless you cracked sternum for the way God used that under His sovereignty in my life and in my journey. Because I don't know that I'd be sitting right here, right now, if it weren't for that. Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch statesman, prime minister of the Netherlands back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, prime minister, started the Free University of Amsterdam, started the National Paper, started one of the uh, branches of the Reformed Church. All of life, follower of Jesus. This is what he wrote. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Does evil still exist? Yes. Does it seem to win the day? It seems to win the day. But we're told, not ultimately. Let me give you an opportunity to relate with His might. Let me read the Word of God over you. Submit to this. This is the one whose shoulders are big enough to carry whatever you're grappling with. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so, in the midst of my darkness, I don't turn to a mascot on the bottom shelf of a hardware store. I turn to the mighty God who's enough, who's got this. Even though there's confusion and wondering, he's got it. And he'll finish what he started. And to relate, with his light is to relate with the light that's over me, meaning his 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 might that's over me, his sovereignty. But there's a second aspect of that. His light isn't just over; his might just is over us. His might is around us, which means I relate with him not just in terms of his sovereignty, but in terms of his protection. Protection. Okay, I've been waiting I, I for, for a while here I, to, to give one of my favorite Joel Hunter stories. Do you guys guys know that Dr. Hunter told a few stories? Beautifully and wonderfully. Well there was one, and I heard this when I was speaking here regularly back, I don't know, 2000, 2001, right in there. And I still remember, because it was about a guy named Red Bricker. And I remember thinking, is that really his name? But it was this, he was in Shelby, Ohio. You guys have heard about Shelby, Ohio a few times. Joel was eight years old. Red Bricker was this giant teenager that all the kids, the, the younger kids were afraid of, but he was a gentle guy, but he was strong. And he, he didn't take bullying very kindly, and he didn't like kids picking on other kids. And he was a friend of Joel's, and uh, so Joel and him were building a tree house, and Joel's handing him boards up through the, in, in the tree, in the foliage. He reds up in the foliage, and so it looks like Joel's all there by himself, just handing boards up. And he said, the West End Boulevard boys came by who were the bullies, the local bullies were always picking on Joel, always beating him up, or trying to at least. AND TRYING TO CATCH HIM ALONE AND JOEL WOULDN'T WANT TO WALK HOME FROM SCHOOL ALONE AND ALL OF A SUDDEN THEY ROUND THE CORNER AND THEY SEE JOEL HUNTER OVER THERE BY HIMSELF AND THEY WALK UP TO HIM ALL SMUG AND SAY, HEY, HUNTER, LOOKS LIKE YOU'RE ALONE. AND OF COURSE WE KNOW WHAT JOEL SAID, IT LOOKS LIKE THAT, DOESN'T IT? (laughs) AND ABOUT THAT TIME RED BRICKER DROPS OUT OF THE TREE. SPIRITUAL WARFARE IS REAL. WE HAVE AN ENEMY. And every now and that enemy comes along and says, looks like you're alone. And when I'm relating with the light of his might, I say, it looks like that, doesn't it? But we're protected. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able. Do you know what that means? That means he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. First John chapter 4 verse 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And every day we turn headlines, we see stuff and we think this, this, this world is unraveling. That's no surprise to God. It's no surprise to the Word of God. The Word of God says that's happening. But in the midst of the unraveling, in the midst of the darkness, we can claw all we want and we will not get the sunglasses off, but into our utter darkness, a light has come, the light of his might, and he's sovereign over all, and he is protector. And whatever buffets me will not separate me from Him. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, or trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors. Through Him who loved us, through Him, through who? Through mighty God. Where I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His might is around us. He's got you. That is- That looks like on a daily basis me trusting in His sovereignty and me trusting in His protection at the core of what I've entrusted to Him. He'll get me home. There's a third aspect of it. Not only is His his might over me, and that manifests itself in terms of His sovereignty, and not only His might around me, it manifests itself as protection. Those of us who are followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence with us. The Spirit of Christ, His might is within us. He's our strength. He's our strength. He's giving me enough to take the next step. Cindy and I, Chuck's now a widow. I, that's, I think that's the first time I've said that, that word out loud. We talked about one step at a time and saying, let's trust him for strength for one step. John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things, Jesus says, that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Things break down when we think that the gospel is an exemption card to difficulty. It is not. We're not immune to the darkness. We're in the midst of the darkness, but we're learning to taste his light and experience his light in the midst of the darkness. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. He's very honest with us, but he's also honest about this. He says, but take heart. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And you've heard me say it before, you hear me say it again according to the the prophet Habakkuk. A lot of times we want a path that will fit our feet in our comfort zone, and often the path that we're on is anything but comfortable, it's anything but downhill, it's anything but smooth. And God says, let me give you the feet of a deer. He gives us the feet of, that will fit the path. And the reason I'm bringing it up now is just fresh, because Cindy and I talked about it Friday. May He give you the feet for this path. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do everything through, through Him who gives me strength. Hear what Isaiah says. Some of you right now, you don't know if you can get to tomorrow. I can't give you some special little Jedi mind trick positive mental attitude thing, I'm not going to tell you go decorate more or go get distracted more. I invite you to the feet of the mighty God who says, I will give you strength if you'll trust Me. Take one step trusting Me, and I assure you I'll give you what you need to take that step. Then take one more step and trust Me. Isaiah 40 verse 28, do you know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth, and He will not grow tired or weary. And His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength the weary and increases the power of the weak and even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. How will that happen? It's because we relate with him not as the mascot of a season to distract us but is the mighty God who defeats the darkness and enables us to walk underneath the the umbrella of his sovereignty, uh, behind the bulwark of his protection, bolstered by the strength of his spirit that gives us strength. But there's a fourth way that I relate with his might in the midst of the zigs and zags of my journey, and it's this. Not only is his might over me and around me, within me, but it's underneath me that manifests itself as salvation. To relate with Jesus as mighty God is to relate with His sovereignty, His protection, and His strength, and His salvation. And salvation is present tense. A lot of us say, well, that happened long ago when I trusted Christ. Yes. If you've not yet trusted Christ, you've not entered into this realm of salvation. But man, we're looking forward to you doing so. Keep investigating. Keep chewing over this. But salvation, Scripture says, is present tense. It doesn't mean we need to get saved again every day. It means, yes, once we are saved, that's secure. But we are being saved, and we will be saved ultimately as we're going along on this journey. And that salvation happens in direct, direct relationship with this power. We're falling daily, and He's saving us. He's saying, I'm going to pick you up. The first time it's, it's securing who I am in Christ, me becoming a follower of Christ, but then on a daily basis He saves me. He saves you. Psalm 106 verse 8, yet He saved them for His namesake. Remember for His name, His name is who He is and what He does. He saved them to make His mighty power known. God wants to show you and me His power. Because we we, we think, this is an awful situation. He says, this is an opportunity to show show myself enough for you. Relate with my might. Trust my might. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. this mighty god came and he headed to the cross over a period of 33 years. And the cross was not where his weakness was displayed. He said, "I nobody's taking my life from me. I'm giving my life up for you." It was the ultimate display of his power, which is why Paul says the power of God is manifest in salvation. You know, every Every Advent, I carry around in my pocket. If you see my hands in my pockets when I'm up here talking, it's always there. I've been doing this for over 10 years. I carry in my pocket throughout Advent a nail. It's a little carpenter's spike. It's been the cause of some interesting conversations at checkout counters when I've got the nail and some change. It's been really interesting, interesting at some TSA checkpoints. Just this week it happened. Forget it's in there. And the TSA agents want to say, What's this? And, you know, I'm tempted to joke, but you don't joke with them. So I just tell the truth. I said, well, it's, it's a nail. He said, I can see that it's a nail. Why do you have it on the plane? I said, well, I carry it with me all the time during Advent because it reminds me that Jesus isn't just the mascot of a season and a little baby in a manger. It reminds me that that Jesus grew up. He died on a cross as the one who was enough for me. Okay. I mean, what do you say to that? It always helps just to tell the truth. (laughs) Jesus grew up. He grew up to display his might. He's not the mascot of a holiday sitting on the bottom shelf of a hardware store, one of many distractions. He didn't come to distract us from the darkness, he came to defeat the darkness. And he defeats the darkness by striking at its very core, which is the sin, the rebelliousness of this planet, and he took the penalty of that upon himself. And that moves me out of a little sentimental, isn't he cute in the manger? to a submission before him as mighty God, who died on the cross and rose again and said, I'm sovereign, I'm protector, I'm strength, and I'm salvation. I'm going to ask our children's choir to come back out. I'd like them to lead us in one more song, would you like that? And the song that they're going to lead us in is a song is a word that comes out in Scripture. Psalm, I mean Revelation 19 verse 1 says this, after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now I want you to pay attention to that word hallelujah. Leonard Cohen, years ago, wrote a song, Hallelujah, and it's recently some new lyrics have been added for, for this Christmas season. But Cohen was a Jew, but he said, I'm an admirer of Jesus. And this song, revolving around the word Hallelujah, is powerful because you know what Hallelujah means? It's, it's, it's a transliteration of Hebrew, Hallel, which is praise, exaltation, Yah, Yahweh. In fact, if you ever see hallelujah spelled without the H at the beginning, it's a misspelling. It's not hallelujah, it's hallelujah. Hallel-yah. Praise to Yah. Praise to the mighty God. It's opportunity for us to praise Him for the nail. Now, there are all sorts of decorations and things that happen at Christmas time, including candy canes. Some of you are thinking, man, you're kind of a Grinch talking about Christmas decorations. I'm not dissing Christmas decorations. But listen very carefully. All those decorations, they will not be enough to distract us from the fall, from the darkness. But if I embrace the nail, the decorations cease to be a distraction and they become a celebration. Without the nail, they're an inadequate distraction. With the nail, they're a reminder that darkness has been defeated. So these kids are gonna sing over us, Hallel Ya. Yeah. I love the song because there's a melancholy about it. It's so appropriate. They're singing about something beautiful but singing with a melancholy tone because the cost of our celebration was everything to the mighty God. Let him sing over you, sing into your darkness and they'll invite you in in just a minute. And we're gonna head back out into the darkness with great hope because of our mighty God.